Lord, again, we just come to you and we're so grateful for what we are able to hear in your word. And one of the things that you've told us on several occasions, Lord, is let him who has an ear hear. And Lord, we all have ears. And so we're all capable of hearing very loudly and very clearly everything that you want to tell us. Our problem, Lord, is that we have the same problem that Isaac and Rebecca and Esau and Jacob had, Lord, and that's that we're, we have this problem with selective hearing. We like to hear what we want to hear, and we don't uh, listen to what we need to listen to. And, Lord, as we're going to see in this text, that can cost us dearly, just like it cost this family of Isaac, Lord. So teach us these lessons today and help us to be very serious about listening to your word and studying your word with an open ear, an ear that reaches our hearts, Lord, and changes our uh, souls and makes us the kind of people that you want us to be in this lost and dying world. Father, I just ask that you teach us the great lessons here that are in this text uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit today. I ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Now, we're going to spend a couple of weeks on chapter 27 because I think it's one of those foundational chapters in this foundational book of Genesis. And the reason it's foundational is that uh, it helps us to see how God uh, uh, works through fallen human beings uh, to get his will done in in spite of our major faults. I don't know about you, but I have some major faults, and we all have major faults, but God works through us anyway. Uh, One of our major faults is that uh, we have selective hearing. Uh, Amen is right. Uh, We clearly hear the things we want to hear, uh, while subconsciously ignoring the things we don't want to hear. Now, my wife's not here today, and she doesn't have that problem, but I certainly have a problem with selective hearing. I, I hear what I want to hear. I mean, I can be in my study, and I can be studying, and I can be zoned in, and I don't hear a thing. I mean, she can run the vacuum cleaner. I don't hear it. Uh, she can call from the other side of the room that she needs me to help her with something, and I don't hear it at all. Uh, but I'll tell you, when my stomach starts to growl a little bit and I hear those words, supper's on the table, man, I hear her loudly and clearly, and I go to the table and I eat. I mean, we all have selective hearing. Even my dog has selective hearing. I mean, he hears what he wants to hear. I mean, I can tell him to do all sorts of things. He won't do any of it. He, he pretends he doesn't hear a word I say. But you say the word stick. He loves to chase sticks. You say the word sticks, and he, he can be sound asleep, and he jumps up and he runs to the door and starts crying for you to take him outside and throw sticks. So, so everybody's got selective hearing. And, and, you know, I'm making light of it, but it's a really serious matter when it comes to the things of God. Uh, when we have selective hearing uh, and we uh, only hear the things we like in the word of God, and we ignore those things we don't like. Uh, as we're going to see in this text today, that's a dangerous practice. Uh, and it can cost us dearly in the end if we're not truly listening to God. So, so let's go to chapter 27 and let's look at this text uh, beginning in verse number 1. Listen to what uh, we're told here. It says, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old. And his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And Esau answered him, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. In other words, my death could come at any moment. Uh, Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So here's Isaac. He's an old man at this point. He's 135 years old. And he's pretty sure at this point he's probably got some kind of virus or something. And uh, he's pretty sure he's about to die. But he's wrong. He's wrong about that. Isaac's going to live to be 180 years old, so he's got 
45 years left to live. So he's not anywhere close to dying. Uh, Now, he, he is old, so he's got cataracts probably in his eyes, and he couldn't see clearly. But he doesn't have a problem with his hearing. You can look at this text, and, and he doesn't have any problem with his physical hearing. But he does have a problem with his spiritual hearing. He's got selective hearing. Now, let's turn the story here a minute to Jacob and Esau. Here's Jacob and Esau. If, if uh, Isaac is 135 at this point, Jacob and Esau are both 75 years old. So they're up in the years. And they're thinking, you know, one of us, my dad's going to die soon, and one of us is going to inherit the birthright. And so they're, you know, they're thinking, hey, the the point's coming. He is getting old, and he's sick, and he might be dying, and one of us is going to inherit it. But neither of these men at this point cared about the spiritual blessings in the birthright. All they cared about were the material blessings that came with the birthright. And that included the double portion of Isaac's uh, estate and uh, the, the right to rule the family clan. And really almost a virtual army of slaves at this point. Because Abraham had thousands of slaves and these slaves have multiplied. And so, so this is really almost like ruling a nation at this point. And so the one who got the birthright was going to have the right to rule the nation. So Isaac and Jacob, I'm sorry, Jacob and Esau are thinking one of them's going to get the birthright. Now, Jacob's thinking he's going to get it. Why? Because Esau sold it to him for a bowl of lentil stew. Esau thinks he's going to get it because he's bigger and he's Isaac's favorite. Well, what's Isaac thinking at this point? I'm going to tell you what Isaac is thinking. He's already set his mind on who's going to get the birthright. He set his mind and he says that the birthright doesn't belong to Jacob. It belongs to to Esau, uh, but, but, and, and he's about to die. Uh, he thinks he's about to die, and so he's ready to pass it on down to Esau. So he calls Esau into the room and tells Esau to go out and hunt, a, hunt for him and get some stew and come in. We're going to celebrate, and I'm going to bless you with the birthright. But he's wrong. We know he's wrong, isn't he? Uh, and the reason he's long, wrong is because he's not hearing God correctly, because he doesn't want to hear God correctly. You remember back in chapter 25 when Rebecca was when, when Rebecca was pregnant with the twins. She didn't know she had twins, but there was a struggle that was going on in her womb. And so she asked the Lord, what's wrong with me? I mean, why am I having this struggle? Am I about to lose my child? And she thought she was going to lose that one son or that one daughter that she had in her womb. Uh, but the Lord responded to her with this great prophecy. And remember what he told her. He told her that in your womb are two nations. One of the nations represented by Esau would be the Edomites. And uh, one of the nations, the other nation that would come forth from her womb would come forth through uh, Jacob. And uh, that would be the nation of Israel. And uh, then God, at the end of that prophecy, told her very specifically that the older will serve the younger. So what did that mean? Who was going to be the oldest? The oldest was going to be Esau because he was the first out of the womb. Jacob was the second out of the womb. So that meant that the birthright would go to Jacob and not to Esau. There's no doubt that she told Isaac about this prophecy. She told Isaac what the Lord had said. She said that the last one out, who was Jacob... He's going to be the one who's going to receive the birthright. All right, now, uh, the last one out wasn't Esau, but Isaac is going to give the birthright to Esau anyway because he wasn't listening to this prophecy. Well, you could say, well, uh, you know, I can understand why, but he really, he had no reason not to listen to it because when she told him that there were two nations in her womb, she was virtually, in, in essence, telling him that she was going to have twins. She was going to have two sons. Uh, and, and so when those twins are born, that is a partial fulfillment of that prophecy. And Isaac, at that point, should have wrote it in stone in his mind and said, uh, Jacob is the, has, the, has the right to the birthright. But he doesn't do that. At first, I don't think it mattered to him. I don't think it mattered to him which son got the birthright, as long as one of his sons got the birthright. But then as these 
little babies grew into boys, and then as, as, as boys they grew into men, uh, he looked and observed what was going on with his children, and, and here was Esau, and, and uh, Esau stood out as a man's man, and Isaac liked that. Jacob stood out as a sissy, and Isaac didn't like that. And so Esau became his favorite, and because he became his favorite, he determined in his mind that he was going to give that birthright uh, to Esau and not to Jacob. So uh, why does he do that? How does he justify that? The same way we justify a lot of the things we do, by selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear, and we ignore the things that God is trying to tell us. We all do that, and there's a danger in that. Now, how did Jacob have selective hearing? Well, here were these twins, and he didn't like what he heard. He didn't like what God had said in that prophecy because he really liked Esau better than he liked Jacob. And he said, hey, man, just common sense would tell you that Esau's a better man than Jacob. A lot of us, if we were to choose, had two sons and one of them, and we were going to give our birthright, and one of them was this great athlete and this person who was succeeding in the world, and here was this other one who was in the kitchen cooking. We would say, man, I'm going to give my birthright to this, this, this one who's a success. Not this one who, to me, seems to be a failure. I'm not going to give the birthright to him. So, so he begins to rationalize. He says, you know, it was 75 years ago when God gave this prophecy. And now I'm about to give my birthright to one of my sons. Uh, surely if God wanted me, if it really mattered to God, it would, he would have given this prophecy again. He would have said, made this more specific. He would have given it to me and not Rebecca. And so in his mind, he's rationalizing the fact that, that uh, uh, if Jacob were the heir, then, then, then uh, surely God would have told him uh, uh, again. And, 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 and in his mind, and I think a way a lot of us believe, a lot of people in the church, so-called church believe, God just changed his mind. God doesn't change his mind. Uh, We'll talk about that in a minute. God is immutable. He does not change his mind. His mind is made up. When he gives a prophecy, that prophecy is going to stand. Regardless of what Isaac did, or regardless of what Jacob did, or regardless of what uh, Esau did. And and then I think maybe in his mind he thought, well, maybe it didn't matter. If it it really mattered to God that much, that God would uh, have said something to me again. And God hasn't said anything to me again, and so... So uh, I don't think it really matters to God. Now, the second way that he used selective hearing was in the fact that he ignored the, the sirens that were going off, uh, sounding forth from Esau's life. You just look at Esau's life. Now, on the surface, it looked like Esau would be the one who would get the birthright. But no doubt Isaac knew that Esau had sold that birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. How do I know that? Because Jacob's character would tell you that. Jacob no doubt told his dad, hey, I got the birthright now. When you give the birthright, you got to give it to me because, because I bought it for a bowl of stew. Well, that should have said something to Isaac about his son Esau. He didn't really care about that birthright. All he cared about was the here and now. All he cared about was was satisfying his flesh. He didn't care about the great spiritual promises that came with that birthright. All he cared about was his own self-centered self. And that's, 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 that should have warned uh, uh, Isaac that there was a problem here with Esau getting the birthright. The second thing that he did, we saw in the last chapter, was that Esau took pagan wives, Canaanite wives, uh, uh, and had Canaanite children. So, so there's a problem there because what was God doing with the birthright? What was the most important part of the birthright? The most important part of the birthright was that there was a nation that was going to come forth from a, a separate nation, a holy nation, that was going to come forth from the son who had the birthright, and from that nation was going to come the Messiah. Well, what happens if you just mingle in with the, the nation around you? Then you're not going to have a separate nation. And so if Isaac had really cared about the spiritual aspects of the birthright, he would have said, hey, man, we've got to give it to Jacob. And Jacob's got to go away, and he's got to marry someone within the family. He can't, be one of, can't marry one of these Canaanites. So Esau, just by doing that, had, had uh, 
spoken loudly to, to Isaac that, that he didn't deserve the birthright. But Isaac wasn't going to hear that. That's because he had selective hearing. Well, his son Esau was shackled with selective hearing too, wasn't he? Uh, all Esau could hear was, was carnal things. I mean, he could have cared less about hearing the word of God. And let me tell you why. Because he could care less about God. He cared less about Jehovah God. He didn't have a spiritual bone in his body. All he cared about was himself. And all of those great spiritual blessings that he was going to inherit through the birthright, uh, he didn't give a flip about those. And uh, they just went in one ear and out the other because he had selective hearing. Now, he heard all about the material riches and all the power that came with the birthright, but those spiritual blessings, he didn't want any of those, and he didn't care about those. So, so Isaac has selective hearing. Uh, Esau has selective hearing. And Rebekah and Jacob have selective hearing. I mean, the work, when God gave Rebekah that prophecy... Was God serious about that? You better believe he was serious about that. And what did God say? He said that the older will inherit the blessing. The older, I'm I'm, I'm sorry, the younger will inherit the blessing because the older will serve the younger. And God said it, and when God said it, it was set in stone. So that birthright, when God said it, it belonged to Jacob. But here's what they didn't hear. They didn't hear the fact that when God promises something, that he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And we don't have to help him to do it. In fact, when we help him to do it, all we do is make a mess. And that's exactly what they're going to do. They're going to make a mess because they weren't willing to wait on God to fulfill his promise. Now, all they could hear were their circumstances. They looked at the situation, and the same thing we read right here in chapter 27, the first few verses here, and all they could hear was that Isaac was about to make a move, and he was going to give that blessing to Esau, and they'd better take matters into their own hands. How often we do the same thing? We hear something going on around us, and we think, man, God's just not going to handle this. I better handle it myself. What's going to happen when we do that? We're going to make a big mess of things just like they did. I mean, was, who's bigger in this story? God or Isaac? I mean, God's much bigger, isn't he? He's infinitely bigger. God's able to do what he says he's going to do. If we'll trust God to do what he says he's going to do. Now, so here's this family of one of the great patriarchs of all time. And every one of them is basing their actions on selective hearing, on what they want to hear and not what they need to hear from God. And it's going to come at a great cost, a great cost. Look at what it cost Isaac. I mean, let's, let's just look at what it cost him for a minute. All he heard was what he wanted to hear. He heard that his, his favorite son was the firstborn. Now, in that culture, who got the inheritance normally? The firstborn. That's what tradition says. And so he was hearing the tradition loud and clear, but he was ignoring the prophecy because he didn't want to hear the prophecy that God's clear choice for the son to receive the birthright was not Esau, it was Jacob. And Isaac didn't want to hear that. And his hearing problem Let me tell you where it was rooted. It was rooted in his carnality. I mean, Isaac was a pretty carnal fellow. I mean, look at what he's doing right here. Look at verse number four. He says, I mean, he's about to die. And and we'll talk about this some next week when we come back to this text and we look at it in detail. But but, but when, when people are about to die, it's interesting to observe what they're doing when they're about to die. I mean, if you're about to die and and you're more interested in the saints than you are what's about to happen to you, you got a serious problem. I've gone to hospital rooms where people were about to die and they were watching the saints game. Man, I got to tell you what, I'd be on my face, Lord, God, who could care about, I'd be thinking about the saints in heaven, not the saints in New Orleans. And, 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 And I see people who, you can tell a lot about their spirituality, and I'm not saying they're not saved. 
but by what they're doing when they die. And 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 so here's here's uh, Isaac, and he thinks he's about to die. He's not about to die, but he thinks he's about to die. And I don't think it was any different than when he died. He probably did the same thing then. What's he concerned about? I want me a nice meal before I die. Man, go out and hunt me down a meal, and I'm going to hand you over this inheritance. I don't care what God says. That's pretty carnal, isn't it? So here's he's, 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 his hearing problem is rooted in his self-centeredness and his weak faith and his carnality, and it's going to cost him. Look, what happened to Isaac? I mean, no doubt his carnality and this self-centeredness and this selective hearing tarnished his relationship with God. I mean, I don't think he had the kind of relationship with God that Abraham had. I know he didn't have the kind of relationship with God that Abraham had. Uh, and, and because he had a tarnished relationship with God, it affected his whole life. I mean, I, I mean, just just look at how he lived out his last 45 years, and compare that to how Abraham lived out his last 45 years. I mean, here was Abraham who loved the Lord. He lived for the Lord. He valued the spiritual inheritance. He valued the, the future blessings that came with the inheritance more than he, he valued the here and now. And because of that, he heard the Lord clearly, and he was blessed by the Lord, and he lived life to its fullest right up to the very end. And, and, and uh, uh, he died, when he died, we're told he died full of years. He lived a full life at a good old age. You can't say that about Isaac. You can't say that about a lot of people. I mean, you could tell again, you could tell a lot about people how they're living out their last years. I mean, you see some people that are, that are going to die when they're 85. When they're 40, they're already dying. They pretty much have given up on life. They're just sitting around waiting to die. I've seen that over and over again, especially people getting their 60s, 70s. They just, they just you know, they, they, they sit on the couch and they watch Fox News all day. Man, that would drive me nuts. That would drive me nuts. If that's all I had to do, it would be, Lord, just take me out of here. I mean... God wants us to live every minute of our life until he takes us home in the fullness of, of a blessed life that he wants to give us. But I've got to tell you what, if you've got selective hearing, that's not going to happen. And that cost Isaac. Isaac didn't have that kind of life. He didn't have the kind of life, that a full life like Abraham did. And, and, and not only that, Isaac here is trying to bless his oldest son. And is he blessing his oldest son in the way he's treating his oldest, oldest son by not disciplining his oldest son by giving his son something that didn't belong to him, by giving something that he had already sold to his younger brother, by, 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 by uh, ratifying that, that, uh, the fact that he's breaking a contract with his brother, by breaking his contract with God, by not listening to God. I mean, is he helping his son? Man, he didn't help Esau at all. In fact, he contributed to Esau's eternal damnation. You know, there's sometimes, listen to me very carefully, parents. There's sometimes that, that, that we think we're helping our children because we want them to succeed in this world and we want to have them the very best in this world. And what we're doing, we're contributing to their eternal damnation. We better be real careful with that. We don't want to raise our kids to be worldly. We want to raise our kids up in Jesus Christ. And, and I think you can do that and have some success in this life. But if success in, the, in life becomes your God, if you want your kid to be some great athlete more than you want them to be a child of God, you want them to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that more than you want them to be a child of God, then you very well might contribute to their eternal damnation. So we need to be really careful with that, parents and grandparents and, and all of us who are involved with children. Now, let's go to Esau. What did it cost Esau? You, you talk about costing, selective hearing costing somebody. I mean, Esau didn't want to hear anything about the spiritual blessing because he didn't want to hear anything about the Lord. He didn't care about the Lord. It's really sad. And that's a reflection on who? That's a reflection on Isaac and Isaac's relationship with the Lord. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've already covered Isaac. But, but, but Esau is, is responsible for his own sins, isn't he? 
And so he doesn't care anything about the Lord, and so he doesn't hear any, any word from the Lord. He doesn't hear about the spiritual blessings of the Lord. He doesn't care about the spiritual blessings of the Lord. He doesn't care about the Lord. And so he became a profane man. That's what he's called in the Bible. A cursed man. A, a carnal man. And he trampled underfoot the wonderful promises of God. And he lost his birthright in the process. And more importantly, he lost his soul. So that the epithet that is given about Esau in the word of God, in the book of Malachi, and in the book of Romans is, comes from the Lord. Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. That's Isaac's son. Parents, do you want that for your children? Then don't do like Isaac. Don't have selective hearing. You hear this whole word of God. Children, do you want that? You don't want to be like Esau? Then, then if you want to be like Esau, hey, just don't listen to the word. If you want to, if, if you want to have a rich life, a blessed life, then start listening to this word. Every word of it, believing every word of it, and obeying every word of it, and you'll be blessed. So, God says about Esau, Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. But you know what? Oh, Jacob had selective hearing too. Jacob's a real case of grace. Because you look at Jacob, and you look at Esau, and at this point, I don't think you could say one is better than the other. As far as the secular world goes, Esau would have to to win the prize for being the best. But as far as the spiritual world goes, I don't think either one of them were spiritual at this point. Jacob didn't care about the blessing, the spiritual part of the blessing either. All he cared about was the material material blessings and the power that came with the birthright. And, and, and if he had cared, he would have been willing to wait on God if he really loved the Lord. He didn't know the Lord at this point. In fact, when we get to the story about Jacob at Bethel where he has this encounter with God, you know what Jacob says to the Lord? I shared with you, this with you a couple of weeks ago, and we'll see it again in a couple of weeks. You know what he said? He said, you know, if you'll bless me, I'll make, let you be my God. I'll make you my God if you'll bless me. It wasn't his God at that point. But he became his God, but it took a long process. And I think God would have gone through that process with Esau if Esau was worth redeeming. But Esau would have never been redeemed. Because he had set his, his mind was set in stone. His soul was set in stone that he was going to be a godless man. Jacob, there was hope. There was a flicker of a flame there that, that God was going to turn into a, to a, to a burning ember at some point. Uh, so, so. Jacob had selective hearing too, and, and, and if he didn't have selective hearing, he would have waited on God, and he would have saved himself a lot of grief. Next week, we're going to see how Jacob is going to be forced to leave his home, uh, and he's going to run for his life to Haran, and uh, he's going to end up with his old uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban is going to make him absolutely miserable for the, for the next 20 years. He's going to suffer for his selective hearing. And then finally, look at what Rebecca's selective hearing caused her. She hears this great prophecy from God, but she doesn't think God's big enough to fulfill the prophecy. So she wants to bless her son, Jacob, because she, she knows her dad's about to mess him over. And she wants to bless him. And so she doesn't trust God to override Isaac, Isaac's will. And so she takes matters into her own hand to save her son. And in the process, she loses her son. Do you realize that once Jacob left to go to Haran, she never saw him again before she died. The very son she was trying to save, the very son she was trying to bless, she lost that son. So 
you look at this text as we go through chapter 27, and you're going to see what a great price all of these main characters paid for their selective hearing. You know, over in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we're told there that a passage you're all familiar with, we're told that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What's that mean? That means that our, the amount of faith we have is dependent upon how much we hear the word of God. And the amount of faith we have determines, is the prime determinant in the quality of life we live as children of God. So you want a lot of faith if you want to have a quality life. And if you want a lot of faith, then you got to have a lot of hearing. You can't have selective hearing and have a strong faith in God. And if you don't have a strong faith in God, you're not going to live the blessed life that God intends for you. And I, and I tell you what, as a pastor, I can observe that in my own life at times and in a lot of other people's lives. The reason they're not living a blessed life is because they got selective hearing. They're only hearing what they want to hear. They're not listening to the entire Word of God. They're listening to what they like and ignoring what they don't like. So we can't expect to live a blessed life if we have selective hearing. We only hear what we want to hear while ignoring those things that we don't want to hear. And if we don't, if we have selective hearing, we're not going to have a strong faith. So, if you want to have a blessed life, how many of you here in this room want to have a blessed life? If you want to have a blessed life, you can't be like Esau and, and only hear the parts of this word that, that gratify your selfish nature. You can't do that. And ignore all the important parts that are here for your spiritual, spiritual edification. Most of this word is here as admonitions for our spiritual edification to build us up so we can have a blessed life. And if we ignore all that, we're not going to have a strong faith and we're not going to have a blessed life. And we can't be like Isaac and conveniently think that just because God only said something once or a few times, he really doesn't mean it. You know, it's one of those things he just really wasn't serious about, or he would have wrote about it a lot more in his word. I mean, God only has to say something once. I I mentioned this earlier. One of the attributes of God that you better get down if you want to hear clearly from the Lord is this, that God is immutable, that he doesn't change, and that means he doesn't change his mind. Every word he's spoken in this Old Testament and this New Testament, he means it. Every single precept, every single word, he means it. Uh, now, there's some things in the, in the Bible that God says over and over and over and over and over again. Believe in Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. That's all throughout the Bible. Uh, 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 he believed uh, uh, in God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, faith if righteousness comes through faith. That's given to us over and over and over and over again in the Bible. But there are some things that God only says once. And, and, he only, and maybe only a few times. And just because he only says them once or only a few times doesn't mean that he's serious about them. Let me give you some examples here. Uh, he, the Lord says, uh, rejoice always. I think that appears twice in the Bible. Actually, Paul says it twice in, in Philippians, and then he, I think he says it once in First or Second Thessalonians. Rejoice always. Is God serious about that? That's a command. Rejoice always. 
what's, what's that command all about? Why should we rejoice always? Because if we're rejoicing always, it's a sign that we have real faith. That we trust God always means in good times and bad times. That we're trusting God in the good times and bad times. And so if, if we have real faith, then we should be rejoicing always. So, so, so sometimes we have to adjust our attitude as something we need to do. Are we going to end up like the Israelites in the wilderness? We're going to be murmuring against God and look at what that cost them. We don't want to be doing that. So it is a command there to rejoice always. I know some Christians that never rejoice. They, you never hear them rejoicing. We do, and I'm, you know, I'm somewhere maybe in the middle, but we're to rejoice always. Bless God. I mean, we're, we're, we should be excited about being Christian. So we're to rejoice always. Well, that only appears uh, a, a couple of times. There's one over in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. We're told to pray without ceasing. What? What, Lord? Oh, the Lord's not really serious about that. He understands that the saints are playing today, right? Are they playing today? I don't even know if they're playing today. Yeah, yeah, Jaguars. Okay. Well, we can pray while we watch the game. <laughs> but, but he's serious about that. God is serious about us praying without ceasing, even though he only says it once. What's he saying there? He's saying we're to live in an attitude of prayer. That doesn't mean we're to go in our closets and stay there until we die. That's not what it means at all. It means we're to always be praying. We're to always be seeking God. We're always in conversation with God in our minds because we recognize that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ is in us, our hope of glory, and he is always there. And if we're praying without ceasing, what we're doing, even if we don't say a word, we're recognizing his presence. And if you live a moment of this life without recognizing his presence, you're sinning against God. I'm not saying that's going to send you to hell, but that's going to cause you to not have a blessed life because you're selecting what you want to hear. And you're saying, well, I don't want to hear that today that God's here and I need to pray without ceasing. Well, then get ready to have some problems. You're going to have some problems because you're doing what uh, Rebecca and Jacob did. And you're taking matters into your own hand. I don't need God right now. So. God, you hang out in that corner here and let me live my life over here and I'll get a hold of you when I need you. No, we're to pray without ceasing. We're never to not be praying. Here's another one. It appears over in Romans chapter 13. Uh, Owe no man anything. What's anything in the Greek mean? Anything. Don't go in debt, period. Zero. Don't go in debt. Stay out of debt. Don't go in debt. Well, wait a minute. That's, that doesn't apply to that car I need or that, that house I need. It doesn't apply to that, does it, Lord? Yeah, it does apply to that. I mean, the best situation for a believer is to not have any debt at all. And if you're in debt, you need to try to get out of debt. It's going to cause you problems if you mount up debt at some point. It's going to cause you problems. I, you know, if you, God, God is flexible. And he, and he's, and he's, I mean, he understands how these things are applied to different situations. I mean, if you've got to have a car to get to your job, and, and you don't have any way to get to your job without a car, and you have to take a debt to get that car. God understands that. Love conquers a multitude of sins, and God loves you, and he wants you to have the best. But, but you know what? When we start buying a bunch of, I almost said a bad word, when we start buying a bunch of junk on credit, that's dangerous. That's a dangerous thing to do because the Bible also says that the debtor is slave to the creditor, and that is so true. I mean, I mean, we're to stay out of debt. Now, I don't, I'm not, you know, trying to step on your toes if you, if you have debt. But, but really, you should try to get out of debt. That's a biblical principle. It's only said once, but it's a biblical principle. Here's another one. Over in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, It is appointed for man once to die, and then the judgment. Once to die. We're all going to die. If we're not raptured out of here... We're all, there is an exception if we get raptured out of here. But we're all going to die, and then we're going to face the judgment of God. 
I, I, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I'm not worried about the judgment part. But I do know that because it says it's appointed for man once to die. What's that say about reincarnation? It, it can't happen. You're not going to be reincarnated. You're not going to come back here as something else. And so Christians that want to incorporate reincarnation say, well, God only said that once in the book of Hebrews. If he was really serious about it, he would have said it more often. He only has to say something once. You know, the millennium only appears once in the Bible. That thousand-year reign only appears in Revelation chapter 20. It's, it's inferred over in some of the minor prophets, but it's really only referred to literally once. Does that mean the millennium's not going to happen? Yeah, the millennium's going to happen. A literal 1,000-year rule of Christ where the devil is chained, and then at the end of 1,000 years, the devil's going to be let loose, and there's going to be the last rebellion of mankind, and then we're going to go into eternity. That's what the Bible says. It only says it once. Do I believe that, or i got to adjust that, or i got to symbolize that? No. Because God, when God says something once, he is serious about it, even though he says it once. The rapture. How many times does the rapture, word rapture appear in the Bible? Actually, it doesn't appear any. It, it appears over in... Uh, First Thessalonians, uh, it appears uh, as the word harpazo, I think is what it's called, uh, raised up, lifted up, taken out of here, uh, however you want to interpret that. Uh, and, the, and the Latin is raptura, so we get our English word rapture. But it does appear there, depending on how you uh, transliterate the words. It does appear over in, in the New Testament, but it, but it doesn't appear again. But there's all sorts of indirect references to the rapture elsewhere in the Bible. So just because it only appears once, people say, well, there's no such thing as a rapture. God, if rapture was such an important doctrine, God would have had that throughout the Bible. It actually is indirectly given in other places in the Bible, but it only appears once in the Bible. But does God have to have it in there more than once? No. So because it appears there once, I believe in the rapture. Now, so... I could go on with that exercise because there's a lot of things in the Bible that are only said once or a few times. But God is serious about every single one of them, and, he, and, he, and he's uh, right about every single one of them because he's God. Now, we also can't be like Isaac in that we ignore a word of God just because we don't like it. You know, the whole church... The whole organized church is notorious for this type of selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear. We don't hear what we don't like. Or we alter what we don't like. Let me tell you something. If the Lord says something is an abomination to him, it is an abomination to him. You can't change that. Because the modern world doesn't see something as an abomination, it doesn't mean that it's not an abomination. If the Lord says the wages of sin is death, the soul that sinneth it shall die, and it shall die an eternal death. If the Bible says that, then you can't change it, whether you like it or not. Because what happens if you start changing those things, what are you doing? You're setting yourself up above God. You're making yourself the authority and not the word of God the authority. And the word of God is... It makes God the authority. And so you can't change the things that you don't like in the Bible. When the Lord gives a warning like he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, listen to this one really carefully. Everybody in this room, listen to this. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? You can't change any of that. If that's who you are, you will not go to heaven. You're on your way to hell. Now that passage is taken out of context, and I don't want to take it out of context because that is given in the context of grace. It's given in the context of grace to say, such were some of you. We were all fit into one of those categories at some point in our life. But we've been washed by the blood. We've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
We've been justified by the blood and the Holy Spirit. That means we've been made perfectly righteous. But on the flip side of it, if that blood and that spirit has not changed us to where we're no longer those people, and what was happening here, these people were falling back into some of those practices, and Paul said, that's not who you are. If that's who you are, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're just falling into it and and not practicing it, then, hey, that's who you were. Don't do that anymore. See, that's what he's saying there. He's not saying anybody that's ever participated in those things can't go to heaven. He's saying that that's not who you are. You used to be that. But if you don't change that and get that out of your life, and you still remain in death, one of those people... You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It can't be any clearer than that. You can't change that. On the contrary, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what you're going to inherit. Listen to me. Listen to what the Lord says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. He says, the Lord is coming in a flaming fire. Now, you can't take this out of the Bible. Taking vengeance on those who do not know God who do not live in a relationship with God, who have not been changed by God, and on those who who do not obey the gospel of the Lord. They don't receive Jesus Christ in their heart and get saved and get their life changed. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. That's hell. From the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. They will be separated from goodness and grace and the power of God forever and ever and ever and ever. You can't change that. There's a lot of Christians out there that are like Isaac and Esau, and they don't want to hear words like that. They only want to hear what they want to hear. The things that fit their carnality, their carnal nature. And so what they do, they just ignore those passages. They change those passages. They say those passages don't apply anymore. Those passages aren't in the Bible enough to worry me. I'm just going to ignore all of that. You can't do it. It'll cost you. And i got to tell you, here's where a lot of us fit in. There are a lot of us that have the kind of selective hearing Rebecca and Jacob had. They hear the word of God. They like what they hear. But they really don't trust God to fulfill the word. You know, there's a danger there. There's a real danger there when it comes to grace. Versus law. If, 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 Paul talks about this. I think Paul wrote Hebrews, so I'm saying Paul. The author of Hebrews talks about this in chapter 4 of Hebrews. He said, don't be like the Jews who never entered the promised land because of what? Because of their unbelief. They heard the word very clearly. They saw the Lord. They saw him every day. And they heard his word, but they didn't trust the Lord. They trusted in themselves. And they didn't really believe the Lord. They didn't really want to go in the promised land and fight those giants and do the things the Lord was calling them to do. And so they perished in the wilderness. And we get this warning, don't be like them. Don't be like Rebecca and Jacob. And yeah, hear the word and like the word. They like the idea of going to the promised land, but then don't believe that the Lord can fulfill what he's promised to you. Look, if God gives us a word or a prophecy or a vision about our calling, and he doesn't put a condition on it, then you can take it to the bank. He's going to fulfill what he said he's going to do. And he doesn't need our help to do it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God in him. He who begin a good work in me will complete it to the end. I'm not going to complete it. I can't complete it. And if I try to complete it, Paul warns us in the book of Galatians, we nullify the work of the cross. 
If I'm trying to do it myself instead of trusting God, then that's selective hearing. I've got to trust the Lord to finish the work that he's going to finish in me. Now, does that mean I can just live unrighteously in this life? I don't want to live unrighteously in this life. I want to live a godly life because the Spirit of God is in me and He's been planted in me righteousness, a righteous spirit. And I want to live out righteousness in my life. And by His help, I, you know, I want to do that. And, and to some degree, I succeed in doing that. And when I fail, the blood of Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness. But I trust in God to complete that work, not myself. When we take matters in our own hands and we try to do Anything that God's called us to do or as he said he's going to do for us, we try to do it ourselves. We only make a mess of things. And listen very carefully. Selective hearing is costly. It's very costly. It can cost you your soul. At the very least, it weakens your faith. It tarnishes your relationship with God. It causes chaos in your families. It can cause you to lose your children. It will cause you to lose the blessed life that God wants you to live. So open your ears to the word of God. To all of it. Every single word of it. Listen carefully and obey it. And it will be honey. To your soul. I promise you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, your holy word that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that, that, Lord, it's just so clear that a child can understand this word when we read it and open our ears and are willing to obey it. Lord, help us with the hearing problem we all have. This problem of selective hearing. Picking and choosing what we like in the word and just kind of skipping the rest. Help us to be Bereans who study this word, who who seek you through the word, who seek your will through the word, who seek your direction through the word, who learn how to obey you through the word. Lord, and most of all, we learn about you through the word. We learn about our Savior through the word. We learn about the great grace we have through the word. Lord, help us to hear all of it. Lord, we want to be children of the Word because children of the Word mean we're children of great faith. And because we are children of great faith, we have a great blessed life on this earth, Lord. And you can use us and, Lord, make our lives count for something. We don't want to be like Isaac on our deathbed waiting to die, watching TV and watching the years go by with no purpose. Lord, help us to hear your word Lord and bless us through your word we thank you for Jesus Christ who is the word I pray in his precious name